There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Rugby league players and fashion. Yep, that's what we're talking about. I'm joined by Isaac John, a former NRL player who is also the co-founder, along with a couple other blokes, well-known blokes, of a clothing label known as YKTR. And he's done this with a couple of housemates when they're younger blokes. That's NRL stars Corey Norman and James Seguiaro, who's off to Brisbane. YKTR stands for You Know The Rules, and it's something they used to throw around each other when they're hanging out at home. And I'm going to ask Isaac to explain the story that sits behind YKTR. And it's really important to have a story around your brand name. YKTR has grown enormously since it launched three years ago. It's got a huge social media audience and their ranges always sell out very fast. I want to ask Isaac about what it is like teaching himself so he's self-taught everything along the way from design to website building to digital marketing, shipping, <laughs> manufacturing, distribution, the whole lot. So let's get into it. Isaac John, welcome to The Mentor, mate. Hey, thanks for having me. I can see you got your YKTR t-shirt on there with a trademark registration um, <laughs> circle on the right-hand side. Uh, what's it doing? Yeah, now we're official, but just want to say thanks for having me. I believe in podcasts and books and hanging around people that are smarter than you and more successful for you. So thanks for having me in the room. Well, oh, wow, it's a good rap to start off with. This is, this is me doing, I'm supposed to be doing the interview here. What's going on? Okay, so Isaac, tell me your story. Like, uh, how old are you, mate? Uh, 30 years old. 30 years old. You're a young fella. Um, let's go back. Um, you know, you've got this business, you know, called YKTR, you know, you know the rules, blah, blah, blah. We'll talk about the name shortly. It's an apparel business. Yep. In, I, just, I mean, I'm probably not doing justice by saying that, but we'll come back to what the business is a little bit later. Close the close. Yep. But I want to, I, well, yeah, I'm sure you've got some unique propositions, but I want to go back you know, how does a 30-year-old bloke, um, I don't know, where, which part of Sydney were you? from Sydney? No, nah, from New Zealand. New Zealand boy. Mm. Um, but you've been living in Sydney f- since when? Uh, 2013. Okay, so you've been here sort of Long half enough. your life. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, nearly half your life or a third of your life at least. So how does a boy from New Zealand, now a man, um, get into this business? I mean, what? How'd you end up getting into the clothing or apparel business? Um, it's weird. Like, actually, my passion aren't, isn't actually clothing. So, I use clothes as a vehicle to, to do the things that I want to do. Had an interest in business and doing content creation like these guys here. And I use clothes to do that. Um, grew up in a small town called Tokoro. You're on the Roosters board, right? Yeah. So, Zane Tedavano, Joseph Manu, yeah. Yeah. they come from my hometown. Um, it's a town of about 10,000 people. My dad, I'm probably as cliche as a Toke boy comes, Cook Islander boy. Um, 
they cook on the boys as well. Dad works in the mill, and I always knew that I never wanted to work in the mill, and I saw rugby league as my way out. Um, ended up playing for the Warriors, went to England. Ivan Cleary brought me back to play for Penrith. I got to the point where rugby league wasn't my passion anymore, and I had multiple injuries while I was playing. ACL, snapped my Achilles, um, tore my pack, and someone pushed me towards books. Got to the point where I read about 100 books in my life, um, and I realized I was just a, like, you know, when you look under a bear bottle and there's a bunch of useless facts. I was, I was just that guy there where, and I just really had an interest in business and tried a few different things, started up a clothing brand with two of my mates just out of fun and kind of grew from there. What, did, was it, did you start off as YKTR? Yeah, we started off as YKTR. James Seguiara and Corey Norman, they were my best mates. We were all living together at the time. Well, you um, just sped through those because there are a couple of well-known blokes, uh, Corey Norman yeah. and, and uh, James Seguiara. He's just gone up to uh, Brisbane, is not yeah, he? Yeah, he's gone up there. I'll shoot up, Last there, week. Yeah, I'll shoot up there tomorrow to film him. Um, we've essentially built our brand off vlogging and making content, and I'm going to shoot up there and film him for his first game. Okay, let's, let's just go back to uh, when you were a kid growing up. What do you call yourself? A talker boy. Toke, toke, toke boy. yeah. Okay, that's a Cook Island boy from your town. Is yeah. it your town full of, your town in New Zealand is has a lot of Cook Island boys. Yeah, there. a lot of Cook Island boys. Our town's based around the mill, so there's forestry. You either work in the bush cutting down trees or you're turning into pulp paper, four by four, and that's what our, my dad did. Which means what, you're working in the factory or you're yeah, out, factory. out in the bush cutting yeah. down the trees? One or the other. Yeah, yeah, one or the other. Those are your two options. Yeah, okay. And uh, and, and is, it, is the town mostly... Pacific Islander people? Yeah, there's a lot. There's yeah. a lot of Māori boys as well. Um, it's got a negative connotation towards it. Has it? So when you say you're from Tokes, like saying you're from like Punchbowl, you know what yeah. I mean? People just... Mate, it's a great place, Punchbowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great when you come from there and it's very similar to us. Like they say, we say we're from Toke and people are like, ooh, because there's a lot of like gang affiliation is um, like not people don't have a lot of money, but once you're in that town, you realise then people will take the shirt off the back for you. You know what I mean? That's the type of town when it is. What were your parents like? Your mum and dad still alive? Yeah, yeah, they're still alive. Um, I was lucky I had great parents. Um, I had food. Like, out of, in my town, I was kind of like, not, we weren't well off, but I had everything. I had parents that were together. My dad was my football coach growing up. Um, he coached us all the way up, coached a bit of Zane as well. Um, so, yeah, we always sort of had football as our way out. Like, that was my outlet. You were around Zane's age? Zane around uh, age? He's two years younger than me. He grew up, grew up down the street from me. He used to be fat. He was fat ass. As was he? Kid. Yeah, huge, Serious? huge. Yeah, yeah. But, he, but he, is he, is he's related to um, um, Joey. Joey. Yeah, 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 related. As I understand that Zane spent a lot of time at Joey's house. Yeah, it's not a big town, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah like, <laughs> you, you stay over wherever. Because so, it's really important. I mean, I, I guess this cultural connection to you know, what you do, ultimately, that, that cultural build-up when you're growing up as a kid, that has a, that support mechanism has a lot to do, I think, where you might end up going down the track. Yeah, you know, just, like you need that support. I mean, was that a big deal for you growing up as a kid? Uh, just the cultural support? Yeah. yeah, I think it's just have a big to have cultural identity, you know I mean? We grew up, we were in Cook Islanders, but the Māori culture back in New Zealand was really strong. So we learned Māori words. Our national anthem has the Māori thing before it before it even yep. starts so we learn about all this sort of storytelling and that's sort of something I've transferred into business where um, I, f- I feel like essentially we built a business off storytelling well that's an interesting one take me through that how story t- take me through how storytelling has become an important part in in well now you're using it but how was it an important part in your growing up as a kid how did how what sort of glue does it give to you in terms of your family and your culture and just making you feel comfortable and sort of secure. Well, like if you think about yourself as a kid, how do you fall asleep? By, t- by your parents telling you a story. Look at Hollywood. It's a billion dollar industry built off the back of t- telling stories. You're Greek. Yep. Greek mythology built off back of 
telling stories, so it transcends over time. Yeah, 100%. So it, so it holds a lot longer. And in the Māori culture and the Pacific Island culture, we were told all these stories. They're not like... They're not true. It's just what they believe and all this sort of stuff there. Well, give, so. me, like, give me an example. Like, I mean, because it's funny. You just said something because you hit a nerve there. Because when I was a kid, I got a book called Greek Mythology. And I love this book. And I, I read it all the time. And I knew all the stories. And uh, I didn't realize what effect it would have on me over time. Uh, but but still, it was a very important comfort because mm. um, it's a sense of belonging. You think you belong to a certain tribe. 100%. Uh, whether you, whether uh, the stories are all bullshit anyway. But yeah. it doesn't matter. Um, but you can, you can build a fictional nar- narrative around facts. Well, you can build yourself. Yeah, correct. So those stories which were, that you grew up, were they um, a Maori stories or what, uh, were the, what were the stories that you were told? Oh, just a bit of both. And like a lot of them all sort of come back to like respecting your elders and stuff like that. And they believe in like the land, the river and all this sort of stuff. And you just combine all that. But then we had the Cook Island culture as well. So me, Zane and Joe would have had to do like cultural performances in front of people. So you learn how to perform in front of people as well. And but essentially, like, if you don't listen to your elders, you get slapped across the head. So, yeah, yeah. yeah so we're you, not allowed to do that today in Sydney, but like, I, I used to, that's for sure. But that's how you learn. You learn from pain. If I put my hand on fire, I'm like, shit, I'm not doing that again. Totally. So if I say something and someone slaps me across the head, I was like, shit, that's pain. Yeah, <laughs> as long as you're sort of not knocking all your teeth out, it's probably okay yeah. from my point of view. I mean, but I'm, I guess I'm probably saying something politically incorrect there, but um, I just want to keep building on this because it's real, it's real, to me, it's really important this whole process of storytelling. Because, uh, you know, if you want to be good on Instagram or good on Facebook or good on any sort of today's uh, mediums, you've got to understand what your story is and you've got to be able to tell your story. And that art, there's an art. And there's probably a science in storytelling, but there's definitely an art in storytelling. And it's and it's sort of somehow related to what all the great film producers do to, to have been doing for a million years. I mean, you still see... Um, oh, Brother, Where Art Thou is, is a story about... Uh, or is a remake... Of with George Clooney is a remake of the story of um, uh, the Odyssey, which was probably one of the most one of the longest standing stories written by Homer mm. um, back in 700 BC or something like that. Um, and the only reason I know is because I've read the book. And it's sort of those stories are really about virtues and character. And virtues and character, I use it on my own posts on Instagram. Um, I'm always putting up little sayings. It's around mm. about virtues and character. And if you can somehow associate those virtues and character, because what we're talking about here is brand building. If we can talk about, if you can somehow associate brand, um, virtues and character around your brand, YKTR. We've done that. That's, and, but to do that, you need to have learned this as a young person, I think. Yep. You need to be able to understand how storytelling works. And to understand how anything works, you need to have experienced it. So, like, can I, I mean, if you're a parent out there, you should be listening to this because this is a real skill and it's, this skill is a, achieved by kids first experiencing it. And I would ask you, what, how did you, how, what's your memory of experiencing this? Was your dad used to sit down at night and tell you a story or was it a big community fire pit and you all sat around and, you know, had a hungy or something like that, and talked about it. I mean, what, how, what, how was it? I mean, I know the the indigenous boys here; that they are, they are really strong around it. What do you think of indigenous culture? Do you feel like it's ignored in Australia? Totally, yeah. Mm. But it, but all our all cultures are ignored in Australia. That's a shame, isn't it? There's a lot of cultures here in Australia. It's not just indigenous. There's a you know, the Muslim cultures and ignored in Australia. The Jewish, uh, other than their own communities, yeah, is ignored in Australia to some extent. Even the Christian ones starting to become ignored too. Mm. Um, and 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 they're religious ones, and then you can then you can go back and have a look at uh, the other cultures, like the old Greek culture. I mean, like you know, I come from that culture, but if you look at my kids and their kids, 
it's become diluted. Mm. And it's really not cool to look at this sort of stuff. Yeah, and by right, look, but right now we're in the middle of an election and we've got the greatest social divide of all time. You know, it's, just, it's killing me. Like the front page of the Daily Telegraph today is talking about, you know, it's, it's nearly like being critical of whatever culture you belong to, whether it's Christian or not Christian or, you know, Muslim. You can't say anything. Mm. You, you can't promote your culture. What did your father do or your mother do? Did they sit down? How do you do this? I mean, do, I mean, I was given a book and television in those days was pretty remote. So you might, you might see Hercules on television, a few of those sorts of things. But how did your parents teach you these stories? I mean, tell me, how did it work? Um, just from a cultural experience, say we, say we go to the Cook Islands and they, they've got stories all about the land. Say the Māori culture, for example, you've got the North Island and the South Island. The North Island's got a story of its own. So if you look at the North Island, it kind of looks like a stingray. So that's the story. They, they call a story of that and they built it up through the sea and they chopped it up and that's how they got all the hills and the rivers and stuff. And the South Island kind of looks like a canoe, a waka that's been flipped over and that was the one that got the thing. They've got stories on the sun and how that on how the sun was moving too fast and there was a guy named Maui and he threw a, like a rope over the sun and like stopped it, even though we know that's not possible. We, we still remember these stories. But what, it, what I've sort of figured out as I've gotten older, we don't remember facts. So, like, if you never knew about Jack and Rose and the Titanic, would you know the Titanic sung back in 19-something? You know what I mean? So mm. you build a narrative around a fact. I feel like that's how you can transcend over time and and have a gift in storytelling. So, like, the, some of the stories, are, like, we've documented that's how we storytell through YKTR, through vlogging, um, through the good, the bad. We don't really make anything up. But you, I feel like you can make up fake narratives around a fact and they can just still transcend over time. And it doesn't matter if it's fake either. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. It, as long as it's a good story. I mean, mm. I mean, the old says and I'll say never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Yeah. Great, I mean, great and, saying. It, and it makes sense because, and they like, when I remember when I was a kid, everyone was a storyteller. Mm. Um, grandparents, uncles and aunties, because we didn't have um, things to look at to um, keep us occupied. So we're always getting occupied by our families our, and the, the older people in the family always told stories. Um, and, to some extent, I sort of did that too as a growing up, uh, with my kids were growing up. But I think that's sort of in your generation, for people like you to be telling stories, that's that's not normal today, I don't mm. think. And it allows you to have a uniqueness. 100%. And, and did, did you recognize it? Um, yeah, I, th I think I've recognized a little bit over time. See, what I found when I was reading books, I could say like all these big words. And I, I was talking to Chico and Corey, like not, not the smartest. Say Chico is. Oh, James said, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> so like the, the, them boys weren't really into that. So I was saying that I could see them switch off in straight away. So I feel like where my strength lies as a podcaster, as a vlogger is I can take, um, like business stuff and break it down into a blue collar or relate it back to 40 and the circumstances that they can understand in an Aussie accent and New Zealand accent. So I feel like I'm really relatable in that sense. But just to go off the back of storytelling, you're an Aussie bloke, sit down at the pub, have a beer. Who do we hang around with? The guy that loves to talk shit and tell yeah. a yarn. Yeah, and 100%. And you transfer that into marketing, into business, and then you think of a sales funnel and you, we've got product at the end of that, which is like like pretty good clothing. It's just, just clothing, but then they can attach the storytelling to that and it makes them feel a different way. Well, it makes the clothing better. 100%. Yeah, it makes the clothing much better. It makes it more wearable. Mm. You, you want it. So I just want to go back to, you just said, uh, blogging and vlogging and uh, all, your, all your other sort of mediums mm. that you use. Where did you first, as an ex-footballer, how did you work that shit out? Like uh, uh, Gary V. Gary Vee. I'm a big Gary Vee advocate. Yeah. He sort of talked about vlogging at the time. This is probably about two years ago. I've made about 112 vlogs now. Um, and it's gone like right from the start. I, re I reckon people look at you as a success and they go, oh, it's easy for him. But if they, if you had a camera following around Punchbowl at AD, moving towards uni and then doing what you guys done, they can see that whole narrative from start to finish. 
stories need to start beginning and finish. And we started our business from a bedroom selling two t-shirts and I started vlogging that. I started vlogging around when he had a power cut and I couldn't afford it. And like people were like, you're selling like $50 t-shirts, $100 hoodies, but it's shipping out of your house. But people just keep buying and buying because we were so open and honest. We've had customers come through and go, your clothes are shit. Um, I've washed them three times. They've shrunk. So we made a vlog about how to wash your clothes. And that was, well, that was one of our highest conversion, um, converting weeks. And we just, we sort of, we, we built our brand around sort of humor and documenting and like, like you said, attaching an emotion to a piece of clothing. At the end of the day, clothing's clothing. Like, like you don't look at this. When I walk through here, you don't look at this hoodie and go, that's the best hoodie I've ever seen. It's got a hood, two sleeves and a bit of writing on it. But the way that people feel about this, these four letters lined up in this certain way, and that's that's where the value is for us. So, okay, so that's that's interesting. So, if I said to you, "What business are you in?" You're not going to tell me you're in selling t-shirts or. I'm a media company. You're a media company. I see but myself as a media what company. What do you think? What do you think, though, that your ultimate customers are looking to from you? Are they looking to be entertained as a st- in terms of your stories, or they want to be long? They they try. Are you, do you think they're trying to belong to something? Yeah, a little bit. I think um, when you're providing content, there's two things you got to. If you're not v- very good looking and people want to look at you in a bikini, you got to be one of these two things: either entertain or educate. Look at the like we either watch TV to either be educated or entertained. The highest paid actors in the world, they're funny to watch. You know what I mean? So we try to do a combination of the both. Where I'll like obviously wouldn't know nowhere amount of business that you know but I know a little bit more than the average blue collar person. So I'll have that sort of business now. So like how to set up a company, just basic stuff like that. And then we have the um, entertainment part where I go film Chico and, uh, sorry, James and Corey and really get behind the scenes. Cause what I've noticed about rugby league and sort of journalism today, it's, I feel like it's scum media at the moment. They just tell whatever they want to say for clickbait for negative media. So um, Corey and James obviously got in a bit of trouble two, three years ago, um, sex tapes and stuff come out from, they had drug allegations against them so I just seen their name getting dragged through the mud a lot and then um, once we started vlogging people just realized these are just really normal blokes super down to earth and I sort of broke down that mold because people only see the 80 minutes at the end of the week and they they make an assumptions and I watch football on TV and go oh I like I feel like I should have an opinion on that guy I feel like I should share it so I'm trying to break down those walls as well so well that's interesting because uh, um, what you just said about um, James Segura and, Co- and Corey Norman um um, both they both were they both at Parramatta? Ah, uh, no. So um, Corey was at Parramatta, just left, and um, Chico was at Penrith. Penrith. Uh, went to Leeds, come back to Sharks, and now he's at. Brisbane. How how, how are those two? How, how did those two get together? Ah, uh, they were just friends, just so, mates. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually met Corey through Chico, and um, the day I actually didn't like Corey the first time I met him. Went to go went to go shake his hand, and he sort of brushed me. And um, was, this is probably not the best story, but. Like the way we hung out is we went to Bricky Point at the palace and we, we were playing pokies and we couldn't lose that day. I ended up winning $20,000. I got two house links and like, you know, the euphoria of winning a pokey um, sort of felt like we hit the lotto and then boys couldn't, um, then boys won so much money as well. So that's how we bonded and YKTR is essentially built off having a slap with your mates. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 it, it's sort of interesting that you've, because, you know, you just said to me that these two boys had a bit of a bad rap you know, in certain mediums, but all of a sudden they become more well-known than they were known before. But if somehow you can then turn that narrative around, which you've done, um, you can benefit from it. So the, the newspapers built them up in the wrong way yeah, and, you know, slapped them mm. and, and off the back of the so-called sex tapes. Mm. Um, and, uh, 
And I must say, I did see. Not so called, they were. Yeah, they were. <laughs> I, I did see them. So, and then, uh, but what you what you're able to do is sort of build a redemption because, like, that's a story in itself. Yeah, everyone loves a rags to riches story. Oh, totally, don't they? redemption's a big deal. You and know, do you know? Like, do you know what? A lot of it's not fabricated as well. They're actually doing really good things. They every Tuesday night they're down at Martin Place working with the homeless. There's a brand called. There's a thing called Pass It On Clothing. So any product that we don't sell, we don't necessarily push it towards the sale to try and get money in. We donate these to the homeless people as well. And they're down there every Tuesday. Um, they've got a little bit of wraps for it. There's a sort of that negative mindset of you shouldn't promote um, like charity work on stuff like that, but and they didn't do it for like the first sort of four or five months and sort of the media got wind of it. So they're, they're doing the stuff behind the scenes. They're going out and seeing kids like uh, Chico. He went down to the park because someone asked him if he, if he could teach him some dummy half drills. You know what I mean? So he's taking two hours out of his day to go down the park with cones and throw passes with an 18-year-old kid. And like people don't see these and they, they, they do this stuff. So it's not a lot of it's like people think it's fabricated and stuff like that, but they're really doing these things. I, well, I know just my experience with the Roosters, like – most of the players, pretty much every player, is always doing something. Yeah. Because they've got a bit of time on the hands, but also 99 times out of 100, they're generous, they give time, and it's actually, they get something out of it. Mm. If they go and look after a kid um, who's sort of not doing so well or could be in hospital or whatever the case may be, or just a fan, mm. it doesn't really matter. Um, uh, they, they don't think it's a big deal, but actually it's a big deal to the person they're doing it for. And it's actually a big deal in terms of um, who that person is, and we never, very rarely do we ever tell a story. So what you've done here is quite clever in that um, you've gone and got all the content that these guys are producing and you've made sure that you actually produce it in a yeah. film sense. And so, the same thing with, um, we've just started a podcast as well about two months ago. I get football players on. I've had a few of the Dragons boys, had a few of the West Tigers boys on yesterday. And it's not it's it's not like media where like you think the boys, when they answer questions, they're just on the defensive. So if you think of a rugby league um, interview, what do they say? It's just cliches. Yeah. Because they fall back on cliches because it's a safe thing to say. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I give them an environment where um, they're, they're comfortable and saying what they want to say without getting judged. And afterwards, I'll go, if you want me to cut anything out, let me know. I can cut it out. You think of a journalist, as soon as they say something wrong or they fuck up, boom, straight in the paper, back Sorry. of the telegraph. Here, here's well, a negative story. For they're looking for it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they know how to align themselves with questions that could potentially get those answers out of football players. So, yeah, I just like, I feel like I can really break down the walls on just really showing football players for who they are. You've hung around football players and you see behind the scenes and how they're portrayed in the media. They're completely two different things. So what you're saying here, though, is that it's sort of a quite an interesting way to catch a fish, this. So what you're doing here is you're building a big basket and you're putting it in the river. Mm. And your big basket, and the river's going that way and your basket is facing this way, you know, towards the, from where the river's flowing. And there's going to be fish in there somewhere. So, but your big basket is all your social. Or your mediums, yeah. Or your various medium, and you're you're not using, but you're getting rugby league players, that probably and other and or other people, to participate in this process, mm. and you're telling stories around them, and also be making very relatable to those people who might be listening. So, the, and this big, it's basket, a way, it's it's a way a of selling without selling, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a funnel. So mm. you're building this big funnel, yeah. Yep. And then you then it, what drops into the funnel, you make sure it drops into your website or something, and you go and. Sell them some streetwear. Yeah, classic. I I know I talk about this openly. Like I go, these vlogs, these content are for you to, for cold audiences, just jump into my sales funnel. And if you like a content, or if you like a piece of clothing, I'm going to retarget you and go, oh, you might like this later. And I sort of break down the walls of marketing because people don't realize like, um, even like what a Facebook pixel is. If you go like something, if you go like something, that thing's going to follow you around for the next like 10 days. You start Mm. talking about like a Weber 
and you say, oh, why is this following me out? It's just because mm. <laughs> you, you've, you've affected the algorithm on the Facebook pixel where it's going to target yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you yeah. just grab the low-hanging fruit. So that, And I, I say this openly to people. I'm like, if you come into our website, come down our sales funnel, whether you're cold, warm, hot audience, I'm going to retarget you. So let's just break it down a little bit because I, mean, I think that you're being r- rather modest about, you know, you're only 30-year-old, um, like you're a young bloke, but you've worked something out that most people never work out. Um, and and you just covered very quickly quite a lot of ground there in terms of marketing or good high-quality digital marketing. Um, so what you've done is you've created a brand, and the brand is not really YKTR necessarily. That's one of the brands. But the brand is you and all the content that you, you build, mm. which includes individuals and stories around individuals. So you've worked out, I've got to tell stories. It's not just my, your stories, it's stories about others. It helps if it's, you know, famous rugby league players. 100%. Um, and you've got various mediums. You're saying you've now got podcasts, et cetera, as well. And what you're trying to do is lay, um, lay a, I don't want to say lay a trap because it doesn't sound right, but it's, it is like a fish trap. <laughs> it is, it is. You're, and I say, I say this like... It's a big fish trap. And and, and throughout history, yeah. I mean, your descendants and the indigenous descendants and uh, maybe my Greek descendants too, they worked out that if you want to catch fish, you've got to put a great big basket or something um, against, against the flow of the stream. Yeah. And hoping, you know, short of netting the whole river, yep. you just want to see what you can catch. Mm. And then once you catch it, you sort through it and work out what's edible and what's not edible or what's valuable. And what you're doing is you're doing exactly the same thing with mediums, various mediums. and Multiple with, mediums. Multiple. You're right, not just various, but multiple various mediums. Mm. So, and you're just seeing what you can catch or what you can trap in the basket. Is that right? Yeah, 100%. So mm. where the sh- hell do you learn all this shit from? Gary Vee. He's got a book called Jab, 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 Right Hook, which means give, 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 then ask. When it, when it comes time to sell and we drop a collection, I'll go, hey, if you guys like the content, can you please come by and support us? Okay, or- let's go back there. So too quick. Go back there because we've got people listening to this and they're trying to work out how to do this sort of stuff. So tell us about the Gary Vee inspiration and tell me what Gary Vee said. Tell everybody what Gary Vee said. So the theory of Jab, 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 Right Hook is is like, give, 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 and ask. So if you look at our, if you start following me now, you look at our content, we don't try to sell you anything. All we try to do is trim pot, provide value from a, um, from the customer's end without trying to say- Tell you me what the value is. Um, entertainment or education. I talked about that. Okay, okay gonna... let's break it down. So you're right. Um, entertainment is stories. Yep. Stories about people, mm. interesting stories about people, things they would not otherwise find out. Mm. Yeah. And yep, 100%. And, and then education, like everyone- I read a stat that one in two people want to be their own boss in Australia. I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case. And I talk about the sort of hard times of entrepreneurship that we've had and didn't realize what a bass was. And then once that sort of comes through and you have to pay that, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And then entertaining, like the way I, the way I explain entertaining, like you could be the ugliest guy in the world. If you can sing, if you can make laugh, you can get girls. Yeah. And the, the best way not to get girls in the club is go up and chase them around. The best way to get girls in the club is do your own thing, create a vibe, and the girls come to you. And that's the way I sort of explain sales to people, especially guys. So if, if, if I just go back a bit, because like if you look at most Instagram and mo- most most social mediums today, um, people are putting up stuff that is absolutely totally irrelevant. Mm. Um, it doesn't either educate or entertain. Mm. You look at it and you go, oh, shit. Next, you spend three seconds on it, even less, mm. and you flick and go to the next because we work out pretty fast whether something informative there for us, a hack, mm. um, hacks do well, and or um, 
is it entertaining to me? Yeah, and we and we, we post memes in that as well because that's they're like entertaining. So, socially they're entertaining and nothing about our brand. So when we first started, our um, posting strategy was lifestyle, lifestyle within product. So some of our like, like I showed one of the boys one. There's a guy who was eating free KFC for a year because he was telling them he was from the head office. And like, that was funny. So you look at the engagement of that. I think we've got like 50 comments on it. And then what I do, go around the back end, I go people that have come onto Instagram and liked the posts in the past 30 days. And I retarget them again with clothes. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to come back to the science around that because there's science associated with that type of thing. And obviously, it's, yeah, you, I'll come, I'll come, I will come back to that. And I'd like to come back to that in the second half. Um, of our, of, of are we our still first podcast. half? Are We're we still in the first half. Yeah, <laughs> we haven't had we're, oranges are coming up. Um, <laughs> so, but 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 because what, what I've got here in front of me is um, this young guy, who actually is um, um, when you first meet him, ex footy player, kid from a toke boy, yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, but he's actually talking a whole lot of sense here about um, the modern way of marketing mm. and building up a brand. And um, and then delivering on a product, but there's a lot of science, a lot of high quality information in this first half of what we've been talking about here. And can I ask you then, at some stage in your life, you've been inspired, probably on a number of occasions, you've been inspired. But is Gary V? And this is probably one of those good occasions where sometimes people like Gary V, and or you know, there's various others, Tony Robbins, etc. But Gary V is actually inspired. Did he inspire you to do this? Did, yeah, do you yeah. reckon? Everything we've built up, I credit to him. The right. way all I've done, and he talks about being a practitioner of his advice. He started, he goes, make vlogs. I started making vlogs. He goes, learn how to Facebook advertise. I taught courses on Facebook advertising. He goes, the way to move forward is start a podcast. You think Australia, podcasting isn't that big here at the moment. Mm. So when it is, say, five years from now, and it comes time where everyone's onto podcasts. You're I'm an like, early. Yeah, I'm an early. Mm. So you want to be first movers advantage the way Kim Kardashian was on Instagram and move people towards that. So you want to be one of the first movers on the platform. So when it does grow and when it does become mainstream, you're the guy. Yeah. And also you want to make all the mistakes early. Yeah. Which is pretty important. So, so when did you first get inspired by Gary Vee? I mean, how'd that work out? Um, must and why just, did someone like you just go to a Gary Vee? Did you go to a conference or? No, nah, just, um, I was sort of big on self-development. Like I said, I read a hundred books through when I was injured, someone um, done my ACL, Petro 7 receiver, dived at my leg. And you see that? Yeah, yeah, he got me, got me a beaut. So I was twenty years old, and um, Michael Luck used to play for the Warriors. Super smart dude. The way he played football, you would think he was dumb as dog shit. But it really inspired me. I was like, like, how are you so smart? Because I was used to hang around football players. He goes, I just read. So he gave me a book. It's not about the bike by Lance Armstrong. It sort of gave me before the stuff sort of came out, um, and that sort of gave me my first thing of to perspective of like I'm crying over a sore knee this guy's had cancer were you like that at school though did you, did you... I, I was a good student but my mum said you can't play football unless you do well in school so I used to like if the pass mark was 70 I'd get 71 right so I was always in the smart classes but I was just doing enough to get by so I could do what I really wanted to do but you, but you, you wouldn't call yourself someone who was like a bookworm when you were a kid like you, no, you, no, you, you, so but all of a sudden so when you saw the, a good reason to be a reader like a, the, the, there was an outcome, there mm. was an objective to be achieved. You decided to read 100, 100 books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, got to got to a point where when I was living with the two boys and, and football, you get a lot of time, you get maybe multiple days off. And I was sitting there and we're playing FIFA. And I was thinking, fuck, I'm wasting my time here. Like I, I've never met anyone that's made money playing FIFA. And then like I'd try and learn new songs and like I've never met anyone that's uh, made money off learning Drake lyrics as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, 
every time my indicator was every time they sat down and watched TV, I'd run up and read a book. And then I got to the point where I was trying to read a book a week or two books a week and just really doubled down on knowledge. But like like I said before, I just become like underneath a Tui's bottle, just a bunch of useless facts. I could sit at a coffee and talk shit and sound smart, but I couldn't point back to anything and go, like, this is what I've done. Yeah, so but at some stage you read this Gary Vee book. No, I didn't read it. I, he must have been targeting me on um, Facebook and I started really? watching this content and then yeah. he produced the show, it still does, called um, Daily V. And I used, to, I used to wake up every morning and watch that and then, yeah, learned all of that. And, and then, tell people what the Daily V is about. It just follows, it'd be like similar to what you're doing where you've got a guy named D-Rock that just follows him around, um, has a mic on all his meetings and I just learned from that, sitting in meetings that I was never in. It's like being someone's apprentice. hundred percent. And but, but without paying for it. Yeah, yeah. It's free. Chief marketing officer. And, you, and what you did, it was good for him too, because you built up his community, so he, he probably made money out of the community as well. Do you so. know what? I push a lot of people towards him, but then people go, I don't like him because his voice sounds weird. Yeah. And I was like, well, what about the content? <laughs> you know what I mean? So if Adolf Hitler ran a um, course on leadership in Sydney, people just go towards the negative straight away, like he's done yeah. this, but... He's probably got, probably knows a thing or two about leadership because he's got a country to try and take on the world. So I feel like as people, we sort of focus on the negative stuff straight away. And then, yeah, totally. Definitely, the media does. Yeah, um, especially at the moment. Um, so so you got you 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 got inspired by your Gary V, and because he it wasn't so much you got motivated by him because I mean a lot of people go, oh, who motivated you, inspired you? What where was that point in time where you decided to have a crack? It's almost cool not to say you're motivated. Yeah, as totally. A, do you know what I mean? I'm I was heavily motivated by Gary Vee. I'll say it every day of the week. Yeah, but like, but what motivated you was the insight. Yeah. So you, you, so someone opened the door for you. It just and, made sense. And you what saw he was what saying. saying. Hang on, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> that's intelligent. That that's smart. Yeah, well, it's also practical. Mm. And by the way, I can do that Easy. because a lot of times people sort of present you something and you go, oh, shit, but I'll never be able to do that. What he does is what he has done for you at least is said to you, here's something that you can do. Mm. And you reckon, oh, shit, I can do that. That's not that hard. You know, it made it heaps relatable because I didn't have a big platform or anything. Vlogging, vloggings give just normal people like me a chance. Instagram's giving me normal people like me a chance. Back in the day, you would have had to be on TV to get that sort of leverage, that type of exposure. But because actors didn't want to jump on these platforms because it was deemed pretty cool, it gave chance people like me a chance to... Um, drag a camera around, vlog about my life, and people get entertained by it. So you, uh, for some of our listeners probably might not understand what you mean by vlogging, by the way. So I think you should explain to them what, what's your process of vlogging, <clears throat> excuse me, vlogging over a week or two. What would uh, you do? Um, differs, like sometimes I sit in the office and I'm behind the computer. I won't vlog then, but so like I do a lot of buying trips. So what a buying trip is, is essentially I go to a country buy clothes, bring it back, and then put our own twist on it. The same way in football, we look at video and pretty much copy what the other team's doing. Yep. Whatever Melbourne's doing 10 years ago, we're trying to do that the next year. So that's that's how I sort of explain buying trips. I just take people around on the journey. I take them over to China. I'm going to China next week. I show them through the factories. I show them everything we do from start to finish. I tell them what fonts we use. <laughs> I yeah, tell but you, but explain to everybody how you actually how you um, video it. I mean, how, how do you actually execute on these things? I don't know. Like I just drag a camera and cut it up in Final Cut Pro. We've got an intro at the start. Do you have someone following you or do you No, do I do it all on my you own. You do it on your own. I've, everything I've learned in business has been self-taught from building websites to Shopify to Facebook ads to learning how to vlog, um, to learning how to sell, uh, to learn how to design. And you cut clothes. it up yourself? Yeah, I cut you it up myself. It? Yep. yep. And, and uh, But how'd you learn that? Because everyone's uh, listening and well, shit, hang on, how am I ever going to produce a video myself? Do you know? Like, it kind of came naturally to me in 2012, I was playing Super League and we had to, um, there were three teams and we had to put a video together and my, my video won by a mile. I could just sort of see how it go from start to finish. 
use another um, use another football analogy. You think of a halfback. I played half. They can see where the set's going to end. Like, do you know what I mean? Where you got a big forward, mm. he's just trying to smack people and get a quick play of the ball. Yep. Like, as a halfback, you, you know You're where this... It. Yeah, it's Cooper Cronk, he knows where yep. the set's going to end. Yep. So he gets the ball, tackle six, I want to be in this sort of spot here. This is where I kick from. When I look at a vlog from start to finish, I can see how it, how it flows like that. That's my yeah. foresight towards that. Yeah, and you're also trying to make... And if you're a halfback or a fullback, you're trying to get the big boys to put you in a position. Yeah, and that, Corey and um, Chico, they're my big boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you go do this, get over there, and uh, yeah, yeah. I'll do it's the rest. Always, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's 100%. Because, and, and that's probably what you're saying. You're trying to make sure that um, the all the inputs or all the content into your vlog is actually putting you in a position where you want to be. Mm, so when you, when you cut it up. So I'm, I, I'm just going to – we're going to go and listen to our um, – We've got to go and listen to our advertisers, so we're going to have a break. But I just want to summarise where we're at. Um, we've got a young guy here, humble beginnings um, from the North Island, New Zealand. Um, but I think those humble beginnings sort of gave him a, a good head start in terms of his journey about building a brand and, and more importantly, getting people to like the brand. So, I mean, the, the Richard Branson used to always say, and I, he said it to me personally, he said, Mark, Brands are about notoriety and affection, and uh, notoriety is not as easy today as it used to be. Everyone thinks it is. It is easy. It's actually more difficult because you're, it's a competitive environment. Affection means give me something I like. It's either valuable, so in your case it could be educational or it could be entertainment. So that's the value. That's that's how you build something, a brand that people like. Um, and and your tools that you've been using is storytelling. So the ways the way you've given this education and/or entertainment is that you've actually given you have used the tools of storytelling. Then, in terms of your notoriety, you've used all the platforms. You're on everything wherever you can be. You know, podcasts, blogging, etc. I mean, and so you're building notoriety without going on television, TV stations, and paying twenty five thousand dollars an ad or being going radio. Is that what ad costs? Does it? Thirty seconds, and it's it's hopeless. So, <laughs> and you, you know, you, and you're competing with a whole lot of people. And by the way, when people watch television these days, they just put it on pause when the ad's on, and then they come back after the ad break, and they just fast forward it, so they don't even see the ad. So, you're using the modern mediums to build notoriety, and you're doing it with affection. So, just for people listening, I don't want you to think that this is oh wow, too complicated for me. It's a whole new modern style of doing things. No, it's not. It's the same story storytelling process that has been successful for hundreds of years, probably thousands and thousands of years. The mediums are different, to the, but every all these mediums, are just they're all TV screens. Your mobile phone's a TV screen. Your laptop's a, a, another TV screen. They're all just TV screens. And what Isaac's worked out is how to actually use those TV screens that we all look at in order to build up the notoriety piece with affection. Notoriety with affection. Would you agree with that? Is that yeah. notoriety with affection? Is that a good summary of what you've done? Yeah, it's just underpriced attention. You said $25,000 for an ad. Give me $25,000 of ad spend and target towards like Instagram stories where they're super low engagement. Oh, cheap, cheap conversions at the moment. And that's important. But I think what people got to realize, we learn in three different ways. We either watch, we either listen, or we read. So you got to figure out which medium you're the best on. So I'll push people towards vlogging, but they're not good in front of a camera. And like some people are better off writing. Um, some people are better off asking questions. So you got to figure out what your medium platform is as a business. Or if you don't have that person, if you're if you're naturally introverted, cut someone into the business that's comfortable in front of a camera because all that does is raise awareness, throw them into the funnel. Let's go. I 
I'm joined again by Matt Holland. Matt is here to talk to us about the mentor.business business of the week, the one we want to showcase, one of the ones you've got for sale, right, mate? Yeah, look, thanks. Great to uh, to be back. It's um, it's a good one. This week. We've got a new, we've got a good team, growing team up in the uh, Upper Hunter and Newcastle area, and they've brought in a great business. Uh, let's call it Upper Hunter. We can't disclose exactly where it is because it is confidential, but a great uh, bakery-style business. Uh, does some, it does a lot of retail as well. Three million turnover, just on the three million turnover. Good four hundred k profit. Same owners, twenty plus years. Um, looking to retire. Do you have to be, let's call it a baker to run this business? No, no. It, it's uh, look, it's self sufficient. I mean, they've got a great team there. I mean, the owners are uh, certainly involved, but they're not not completely hands on. So, uh, great team in place. And lots of staff there. So, what do you, I mean? What do you pay for something with a three million dollar turnover? Do you get any range of pricing? Or yeah, look, approximately a million dollars would would get you into this type of business um, with a good solid turnover, like twenty plus years. We thought that was a very good price, and um, you know, it's it, it's just a great place to start. Four hundred thousand dollars profit. And, how, that's and how hard is it to finance these things? I mean, can you are there people who finance million dollar type uh, businesses? You know, like unsecured, for example, secured over the business. Look, certainly with the, the right type of financials, yes, yes, there are. We work with a couple of good finance businesses that uh, finance companies that will actually do this. One in particular is the Judo Bank. Uh, we can put them in touch with that. And look, because this has got good solid financials, they will look at those financials and potentially lend 100% up to 100% on the financials. We've just done a deal recently where they've lent a full 100% based on financials of a business that wasn't even trading. So what we're listening to here is... Um, we've got buyers. If you're a buyer, we've got a business for sale in the Upper Hunter region. Um, it's you know somewhere around the million bucks to buy it. It's three million dollars turnover. It's quite possible to get some funding for this stuff, which means you don't have to put your house on the line, which is always very very handy. And uh, and clearly, it's been a business that's been trading for a long time. It's got a long trading history, which is really important. So if you're interested in buying a business. Come and look at mentor.business. We've got lots of businesses for sale there. And if you want to sell your business, contact Matt Holland. He's very happy to put himself and or one of his team onto it. We'll help you sell it. And if you want to get ready to sell, we're happy to help you do that too. Thanks, mate. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Mark. Well, we're back here with Isaac John, and I'm talking about his business, which is YKTR. We're going to get into the name in a second. And But what, what's been really interesting for me is the sort of his journey about how he decided to get into this and the sorts of inspirations and, and or let's call them motivations that he used to, to build his content and how he's using social media today to have this big funnel and, um, you know, the process of entertainment, the process of education, how important that is in terms of getting people into the funnel. But all this is about, at the end of the day, it's about execution. You can have eight zillion people come to your, you know, to your website or your Instagram page or listen to your vlog or listen to your podcast, whatever the case may be, but you've got to, you got to transact with them somehow. So I think the first thing, or before I get going, I want to know what's the story about your name? YKTR. So um, obviously when I was living with the two boys, you get three footy players in their twenties. They love a beer, talking shit. You know what I mean. So one of the, one of the sayings we used to always say was like, "You know the rules," and it was kind of meant in sort of a boastful, banterful way. I'll give you sort of a PG version of it, like say, "Go to Corey, are oh, you going to win tonight?" I was like, "Come on, buddy, you know the rules." And essentially, we just used this comment, like we we turned into an acronym YKTR. Kind of looked cool, just the way the letters were lined up, and we used to go around like um, we were all single at the time as well. And like we used to comment on girls' um, pictures, like someone like Pia Miller, who we thought was the hottest thing in, in the world at the time. And we used to just comment like YKTR on it. And people sort of got a gist of it, but they didn't understand what it's like, understood what it stands for because of the K sort of free people off with the no. 
and we sort of just ran it and then we got it printed on the AS Color t-shirt. We're going out a lot at the time and we just like love the Sunday session. So we used to just wear our own stuff and people were like, can I buy that? And we're like, yep, <laughs> we made 10 t-shirts. And yeah, but uh, AS t-shirts, by the way, for those people who aren't listening, or don't know what you're talking about, an AS t-shirts is a brand of t-shirts which, you know, you, you know, you can sell, if they make them in every, every colour, you can actually get them printed on, right? Yeah, yeah. Like really. this one I got on now. Yeah. Uh, I got an, This is an AS t-shirt which I got a mentor printed on too. So you just went and made, what, 10 t-shirts? Yeah, 10 t-shirts. Um, we, we just wore them, um, just sort of, Snapchat was kind of big at the time, we were sort of just wearing them and people were like, can we buy them? So like, oh, we'll make 50 t-shirts. So we made 50 and we sold them the first day. Um, a lot were to our friends. Um, I think we're making t-shirts for like $19, giving them to our friends for like $20. We're like, oh shit, we're killing it there. <laughs> made a dollar. Like, yeah, yeah, made a dollar. Um, and then we had people selling us and the way we were selling at the time was like, oh, email me on our business account, like YKTR at Outlook. It wasn't even Gmail. It was, <laughs> it was YKTR at Outlook.com and, and I'll give you my BSV number and then sort of learned about a thing called Shopify and <laughs> rolled from there. So well, I, I want to come back to Shopify because I think... I, mean, I think people listening to this, particularly those people who are thinking about starting up something, they mm. don't really know what Shopify is. So YKTR all of a sudden became your brand logo or your brand name. You know, why did you register it? I noticed you've got uh, trademark registration. There. Yeah, um, no, because we just sort of started to grow and we just registered. I think we've, we've only registered the YKTR because our lawyer goes, those sort of letters lined up, you're not going to get too many like kickback from it. Where sort of, you know, the rules was... Um, like a little bit different. So we've sort of just trademarked that. But rolling, while we started vlogging, we used to always say doozy. So doozy was a word that, like for us, meant good. Like we'll go, mm. oh, this is doozy. So we, we made T-shirts that had doozy on it as well. And they ended up, like, I think one time we made two, 300 of them and they sold in like 24 hours. So it was just sort of like just stuff we were sa- like our brands built off like shit talk, like the stuff that we say. And we used to have a vlog called Help Yourself. So when we're eating food, we'd go, help yourself to food. And we made vlogs about going out and eating around Sydney. So <laughs> everything we just say, we trademark it and put it on a T-shirt. And so Doozy and Help Yourself, they're two things you've trademarked? Doozy's just got trademarked last week. Obviously, it takes six months to get yep. it through. They got trademarked, um, Tech Project trademarked as well. And so that's that's sort of sort of, and then that's that's mad. So <laughs> so you you your what's really important here is the name YKTR has a story around it, mm. and that's really important because that can that's sort of how you start off your you know if you've got a website people want to know about you, they want to know about the story about that sits behind the brand because mm. that, that's really important. What's the story that sits behind the brand? Um, and and that you're you're sort of telling a couple of blokes shit talking, hanging out. Something you banter that you use between yourselves, and then the story became well, we did 10 t shirts because everyone want to know well, where'd you get this t shirt at YKTR from AS? Mm. Where'd you get it made up? <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's pretty humble, pretty simple, mm. but it's a fucking good story, you know. It, it's sort of it's banging, like it's sort of interesting to me, you know, like uh, and it's normal, yeah, it's just a relatable story, it's isn't a normal it? story, mm. and that's all sort of part of your whole brand, it's a, just a normal story. And when we started, I thought like, oh, if we get these clothes on Corey and Chico, they're just going to sell straight away. So where do they, where do they come in? Is <laughs> what, this in, what do you did, mean? Well, why your business YKTR? Yep. Was it your business and they came in? No, or, no, we uh, all went in together. All went in together. Right? Yeah. So yeah. We're, we're like, why don't we just have this like start making t-shirts? Um, and then like, yeah, then we got to a point where we're sort of making about fifty to hundred t-shirts at the time and selling them only in about two weeks. Um, and then we're like, why don't we just have a proper crack? And that's probably about two, two and a half years ago. Uh, we invested, I think, 5K in each Okay, let's time. go back to that. Let's, let's have a proper crack. Now, what does that mean? 
What do you mean? What, what did you, you, the three of you, decide to do in terms of having a proper crack? Did you so just some put a collection together? Right. So we're gonna we're gonna um, build a an inventory list. Yep. What What did you build? What did you so decide? Essentially, we were just a t-shirt brand at the time, and we were just going to make a bunch of t-shirts, and then. Uh, we got talking to our supplier. He goes, "No, nah, you need to round your brand out by bringing like shorts or hoodies or hats and stuff." Who's your supplier? Can you let us say who's? Oh, he doesn't want his contacts out there, no. but he does. Australian does, person, like he's actually a Kiwi bloke, but he yeah. lives in China and Guangzhou. Um, so he's sort of like the middleman. So say YKTR, we use about six different factories for different things. Okay, well, I mean, you're, again, you're being humble. Like um, someone might want to might want to produce t-shirts. Um, the question you, you just told us about a, a, a New Zealand bloke who lives in. Wangzhou, China. <laughs> um, sure, we don't want to know his name. I get it. But uh, how the hell did you find him? Uh, just through a mutual friend. We started looking at Alibaba for suppliers, sort of went that route, um, explored samples. Wasn't really what we're looking for. Had a mutual friend over in New Zealand. She goes, oh, yeah, just give this guy an email. He might be able to help you. And he sent us um, our first samples, and they were like, okay. Like At the time, I thought they were all time. I look back, and they're probably not that great. <laughs> and then, yeah, um, just took the process from there. We invested 5K in each between us three. $15,000. $15,000 to get a collection. Um, got the collection made for around that price there. What was it? How much in the collection? So what did you have? A thousand t-shirts or what? Would you no, have? no, way less. We had like four. We had a hundred units of like maybe six t-shirts, two tanks, two hoodies, two hats, and maybe a pair of shorts or something like between 100 and half, 150 MOQ, which is units. Um, ended up costing around 15K and then realized that didn't cover shipping. <laughs> so he got him flew over and we're like, oh yeah, you guys owe us like five, six K and didn't realize they got taxed once it lands into the country and they don't, they won't release it until you've paid that, that Astros, duty. Yep. <laughs> so we had to, I had to ask the boys for more money straight away and like people go, oh, the boys are on a lot of money. They can cover it. But we've essentially boot, bootstrapped our business from that maybe 20 K investment. So, so basically what you did, is you just went and had a crack and yeah. you just said, uh, and you had no fucking idea what you're doing. And you just said, uh, well, let's find someone who can produce it. Uh, we know someone who knows someone in China who's a New Zealand boy who can actually help us with that. You got in contact with him. You, you sent your designs up. Mm. You said, this is what we want. Yep. Hoodies, whatever, mm. shorts, tracks, whatever you were going for. <laughs> and, uh, and then you just said, let's, let's get these made. Yeah. I mean, to some extent, ignorance is fantastic, isn't it? It is. Because if you had to know what you know today, you oh, probably wouldn't even go, oh, fuck, that's going to be too expensive. We would, can't afford it. Yeah, that it shits myself. And like people go, people come to me like, who's your supplier in China? I'm like, how many products have you sold? And I've, I've, I've written blogs about how we've started, how we got AS Color t-shirts, how much we're printing for, what factories we use in Marrickville to do it, at what price. There's all these sort of blogs and I push them towards, I go, come back to me when you can sell sort of 50 to 100 t-shirts consistently over a six-week period and then go to China because people think China's this magical land. Like once you're in China, you've made it. It's like, it's like when you're a kid and you make the NRL and coaches always say to you, this is where it just starts, yeah. where you spend your whole life getting to that debut. But they're like, nah, this is when the real work begins. And that's the same work as China. You think language barrier, you think time differences, you think, do you have the money to pay for samples? And if samples aren't good and you send them back and get them done again, you have to pay for that again, pay for that again. So it's a sort of a lengthy process. Explain about samples because, you know, you have, well, basically what you're saying here is, Isaac, is that. I want to get someone trying to make me 500 units of something, mm. T-shirts, for example. Mm. Um, I have to tell them exactly what color I want, what shape I want, what material I want, and you've got to give me a sample. Yep. 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 Is that what we're talking about? Uh, so like, the way, way we work, we go on a buying trip first, seek inspiration or Instagram. 
I designed on a program, basic program called Canva, which is just yep. a graphic design, super basic, free as well. Um, send it to our graphic designer. He Canva being a great Australian IT business. Yeah, they are. They're from Melbourne, eh? Yep. Yeah. Are they in San Fran now? Yep. They're huge. Yeah. yeah they're a billion dollar company. How so, good. But just, but so, just so everybody's listening, you use that as a free app. <laughs> this is how I start. So I used to go on AS Color, used to screenshot, mm-hmm. control alt four on a Mac, screenshot mm-hmm. a black mm-hmm. t-shirt, drag it into Canva, get some fonts of font 101 or mm-hmm. font.com, um, find the fonts that I loved, put it YKTR, put it over a t-shirt, send it to our graphic designer. He'll... Okay. And then your, your graphic designer here? <laughs> no, over in China. In so China, it's sort yeah. of like in-house sort of one. Yeah. But did you, and did you have to actually... Did, actually then follow up with the material, the actual material that you wanted it to be made out of because at this stage everything's by, by, by is graphic. Yeah. It's not physical. Yeah. So we, we've got a couple of base blocks and materials that we use that we've um, got over time. So our most popular uh, material has got 3% spandex in it as well. So it's got a bit more stretched in it. Yeah. It'll be 100% cotton and yep. about like 180 GSM. Uh, GSM's like grains per square meter. So the heavier, the, the higher the number of GSM, um, the thicker your material is going to be. So sort of learn all that on the go. Right. Okay. So, so, but basically, you just had a crack, and then, uh, but yeah. over time, you've just been building on your knowledge base. Yep. But and what you, this, you is did, how, this is how naive we were. We went six months, and um, I talked to a marketing person, like, "How big's your email list?" I was like, "What's that?" <laughs> I didn't know what an email list was, and they're like, "Every time someone buys, they put their email in. You should be able to retarget for an email list." And I was like, "Well, let's talk about that." So, <laughs> so, how do they find your product? So, the people who bought your product. So, we've worked out that. Um, you know, you've, you've sent samples off, and you've sent gra- got graphic designers help you to you know draw it up and send it off to China, and someone in China's given you your first shipment, and you've worked out that you've got to pay um, t- tariffs on the way in at the customs before you they release it, and you've worked that you had to pay delivery charges, etc. Um, but how did the people who bought these t-shirts from you? How did you find them? Um, just just like before. Well, how did they find you? Just pretty purely for Instagram at the start, right. you know what I mean? So, so t- tell me how. How do they find you through uh, Instagram? What, do you stand there yourself with one on? Or? Pretty much. Like yeah. down at Bondi Beach, sitting on the on the pole, take a photo. Yep. Hey, guys, here's a T-shirt. You should buy one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, right. was old, that was our old marketing and strategy. did you tell them the price or how did it work? Well, how, did you, how, did you, how did you let them know what the price was nah, and what the range was? Driving and... towards the website and like back then. Tell me how you did it. Just ask them, hey, guys, if you want any of this, jump online. Mm-hmm. We've got these available now in certain sizes from small to double XL. We're at 3XL now. But, um, yeah, that was, it was so naive in terms of marketing as well. We just thought, like, hey, guys, go buy a T-shirt. And we thought everyone would just rush and go buy a T-shirt, which we learned wasn't the case. So tell us how you how Shopify helped you. Um, so someone put me towards Shopify. Anyone that wants to build a website, please go on Shopify. The apps they use, um, it's just so easy, so user-friendly. So... I used to build Shopify apps just for fun as well because I used to try and do drop shipping. And so I'm, Shopify is pretty much an app now. If me and you had an idea, I'll be able to build a Shopify app and we could be selling by 6 o'clock tonight. Right. Got any ideas? No. Got, <laughs> that's the problem. I've got too many. But uh, yeah. But, but, so you, you've taught yourself how to build an app? Yeah. yeah. Go on YouTube. Yeah. Google. Yeah. And um, when, because they're a great education program there. Yeah. Uh, like phones. Like you could... Anyone that's listening to this, you can grab the 20 smartest people in, in in the world in your life and mean you go down to a pub and do like pub trivia and I rock up with my iPhone. I'm going to pump you every single time. Yeah. But people use the phone to go like chase girls, look at memes, all this sort of stuff. But you, you've got you've got an encyclopedia of the world's knowledge sitting in your pocket vibrating yeah. and, and we're, we're looking on Instagram chasing girls. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're wasting their time to some extent. 
because that's not how you're going to get a girl anyway. <laughs> but you can do him. does it right. Yeah, you, can, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you can do him, but, like, yeah, but you've got to deploy the spray techniques, one in 20 or one in 10 or something like that. Hey, sales funnel with girls. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, so, okay, but like, you're, so you're, I want you now to explain to me, once people come into your fish trap, which is all your various mediums, how do you sort them and work out who to retarget? Um, it's almost like the way we work is, so if you come onto our website, after a couple of days, I'll collect all that data, all that analytics. Tell me how you, what data you're collecting. What am I leaving behind? Oh, it could be anything. So say, say, if, say if it's a vlog, I'll go through the back end, collect a three-second audience. So if you've viewed that thing for longer than three seconds, you'll fall into an audience. If you've viewed that for... 50% of the video, you fall into an audience. You fall into 90% of the video, you fall into an audience. So if you're a brand, you should be creating video content and putting it out to cold traffic and trying to get their numbers up. Say like there's 100 people that fall 90% into, um, they've watched 90% of the video. Are they more inclined to buy? Yes. People that have only watched 50%, are they, they're, they're sort of, I mean, like I'm in an R-ing. So the wording that you put towards these people has to be different than what you would to someone who's a hot. And we, we, that's what we do. I go behind the ends of business of Facebook. Actually, one, don't boost your post from the front. People go on Facebook on, and then there's that thing that pops up from Facebook. Boost this post, and you can put it in front of like 24,000 people. But why Facebook is so valuable as a marketing tool, every time you like something, it just collects data on you. So YKTR, we could be targeting like 40-year-old females in Bondi between 40 and 50 that love dogs. And if you if you fall into that demographic, my product is going to go in front of you. So that's where you got to understand how powerful Facebook is, and you got to learn the ad platform. Is that, how did you earn it? Learn it? Uh, online courses. Online courses. And just trial and error. How'd you know to go and bother even looking at the online courses? I googled online courses for Facebook advertising. But how'd you know to even Google it in the first place? Um, Gary V said you got to learn how to Facebook advertise. He said yeah. it's the best marketing platform since Google AdWords in two thousand. The way email, he talks about email marketing, he had a 92% open rate in 1996. And then once Google AdWords come along for the first nine... Fail. Eh? Yeah, it, it would not have failed, but it, he had to go into the new program. Yeah, he had to yeah. go into the new program. And he wasn't afraid to change mm. into the new program. So he moved to Google AdWords. He was getting five cent clicks on the word wine and no one bumped him up for nine months because he was ahead of the curve. He saw Facebook ads come along. He said it's better than all those. And where would you go today? Would you stay with Facebook ads or were you thinking there's some, something else? Is there something new emerging? Uh, not, at the, not at the moment, but what we're going to realise is like it gives us small brands a chance because once Coca-Cola, BMW, like whoever the biggest brands in um, Australia are, they start coming onto um, to Facebook ads and they've got a marketing spend of a million dollars, our $50 doesn't go as far. Yeah, yeah, totally. So once, I, I do want to understand like how did you, once you got the, once you, you said, then you know, you talked about four seconds, 30 seconds and 90 seconds, whatever the numbers were. Um, what do you, you can't be looking at every single person listens to your vlog mm. or watch your vlog, mm. vlog. How do you, what, what applications or and or software do you use, do you use to assist you to gather all that information? So one of them, like here's a pretty good nugget here. One of the ones we use is called Retarget app. It's an app on um, Shopify. What that does is say, if you come on and look at my t-shirt, this t-shirt automatically is going to follow you around for the next 10 days, whether it be on um, like Facebook articles, your Facebook page, even Instagram. There's another pretty good one right now. It's called Shoelace, which is really good. Um, there's a girl named Greta. She's started like three million dollar e-commerce businesses and that's the platform she used and the better thing about this platform 
words, the copywriting for cold, warm, and hot audiences. So there's a couple of ones we use right there. Yeah, so what we're talking about is cold, warm, hot leads mm. or potential leads. Mm. And and you got to tell us, our audience who's listening to this, um, what do I leave behind when I go onto your onto your website and or yeah onto your website? What am I leaving behind that you so that it allows you to have that t-shirt following me around? Oh, you, all you have to do is add it to a cart, or all you have to do is look at it. So what about yeah. if I didn't? I didn't. Yeah. Okay. So when I look at it, how yep. do you know that I looked at it? The Facebook pixel. So you got Okay, gotta, that's what I want you to explain. Oh, to okay, sorry. So what a Facebook pixel is, so Google, go on YouTube, go how to install a Facebook pixel. So on Shopify, you're going to have to go edit HTML, do some basic coding, and all it is is a copy and paste. So once you go on YouTube, they go put it between these two like brackets here, you put a space, copy and paste it in, and then that's when you go jump on Google Chrome, get a Facebook um, pixel helper. There's an app for that on Shopify as well. And then what you can do is you can see when, it, when the pixel fires. So when the pixel, so what, the way for your pixel to fire like say it goes page view it will get one fire it goes at the cart it'll fire again it goes purchase that's another whole pixel together so what i can do i can see how far down you've on the funnel you've come so say if you've purchased the way the way it, um is really really good i think if, if you get a hundred fires within a week so say i get a hundred people buying i can then grab that pixel as a purchase put it into an audience and then i can build a lookalike audience around that so facebook knows exactly what my audience looks like it's going to put my product in front of the one percent or the two percent or five or ten percent whatever i pick on people that are more inclined to buy so that's it's it's pretty powerful scary it's scary you can see why we buy the shit we buy yeah and then and what allows you to do is not not waste your money on inventory that you're not, is not going to sell to, by the way. So t- then tell me what happens. So, you know, I buy something or you, you uh, I buy a T-shirt, whatever it is I'm buying. How do you then go about building your inventory, getting your manufacture done, make sure it gets delivered to me, but that you have to have a fucking big warehouse somewhere? Yeah, so the way we've worked, we use uh, something called 3PL, which is called th- which is mean third-party logistics. So we've got a company out in Moorbank, they're called Invenco. They do Iconic as well for that sort of area um the well i don't even see our product so we'll make our product when it gets ready it gets shipped over here it lands in the docks and then it gets um put in the car straight out to the factory so if i want clothes if Corio and chico wants clothes um we just go through the back end and they send it to us so we don't even touch it it's like a you know the drug dealer that never gets caught because they don't touch the stuff <laughs> i'm that guy don't know the drug dealer <laughs> oh, you know officially officially you know you know you know the movie so yeah, yeah. and that's the way we work so the way you set up your um structure is like whenever we get a sale i'll get a notification through shopify they get the same notification they've got this big factory with 25 people working and they ship it out for you yeah okay and they ship it out to where the front door to of the customer yeah of the customer so you know it's seamless yeah for all i know if i'm the buyer if i'm the customer you're sending it to me Mm. but actual fact you haven't touched the inventory at any stage nope and you're only selling what you're only you're only manufacturing what you're selling Mm. So you're not. I done that. I done our first four thousand orders on my own. Mm, sort of learned that as a male, we learn pretty slowly. I was handwriting, like Oz Post. I was dragging them down. Like there's times I didn't have money. I couldn't afford petrol, so I had them in this big sack and used to drag them down. Santa Claus, yeah. Yeah, Santa Claus. It was about two. Or a thief in the night. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, just cruise through Penrith. Like I was living out Penrith at the time, and forty degrees, carrying a sack of Oz Post clothes, like Oz Post parcels with clothes in it, wasn't wasn't too pleasing. Yeah. So. Uh, so, but, but, I mean, I think for the people listening to this, though, you're, you're built a business, which is effectively everything you're doing is digital. Like, you, you don't have to have a thousand people working for you. No. So, where's your office? Uh, so, we've got an office in Alexandria. We're sort of um, in a little fashion hub at the moment. I've got a PA. She deals with customer service. She's my PA as well. Everything else I do. 
So it would be. You can have it. You, your, your office could be in Byron Bay. Yeah. It doesn't 100%. matter. And that, that was sort of um, where I really wanted to go. I was in Bali one time in an off season, 2015. I realized I don't want to play football anymore. So that's when I started looking into um, like laptop lifestyles. I wanted to be a dropshipper first. And then I wanted to run a social media agency. Um, took courses on that. Sat in 10 meetings. Hey, I can build your brand up for you. Give me this thing. All of them said no. After the 10th one, I said, fuck this. I'm just going to go all in YKTR. And build mine. Essentially, essentially, I like I'm just doing the same stuff that I was telling these people like years ago. Like years ago, and my goal was to get ten businesses to pay me a thousand dollars with five hundred ad spend. Then mm-hmm. in my mind, I said, like, oh, I've got ten thousand. I can just travel around the world. And then I got traveling, and like I travel a lot now. Like I look, I look more look forward to coming home to be honest, because I love being in my office and working. Yeah. So, but but what's great about this is you can actually put your business anywhere, anywhere. So and and because you're not tied down to, you don't need to be tied down to landlords mm. and leases and staff or heaps of staff and whole lot of stock and warehouses. And, and, and you know, we don't wholesale as well. You have to buy through us. We So we don't, we're not in a short um, fall of cash for six months waiting for like stores to pay us back. And plus to take 30%. 30%. At least. At least. Yeah. yeah that, that's 30, very generous 30% too. at least. So you, you have to buy through us. So we get a hundred percent of the profit margin and we can roll again because we've got a different business model than a lot of clothing brands. So in terms of your, your product and pricing, so how do you work out what price you're going to charge? Um, we just, I just, when we first started, I just looked at what Zane Rabe was doing. I was like, oh, yeah, I am just going to, I feel like we could match that. So I just copied them. Zane Rabe, which is a bit. Oh, Zane Rabe, yeah, yeah, yeah. The short guys. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, a bit more than that now. Fuck yeah. me. They they rented, they, those Zane Rabe blokes, uh, someone from Zane Rabe rented my farm one time. And uh, man, they had the biggest party of all time. Oh, I know, I'm never going to forget those bikes. Don't let us in there. We'll... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've got some party boys in yeah, our crew. It was, well, it wasn't something with my neighbours, which were like two kilometres away, were complaining because of the music noise. That's, wow. Because they, um, they, had, they had massive sound thing going on there. And, uh, you know, obviously it was, a, it was a big noisy deal. And it was in Byron Bay too. So yeah. everybody wanted to turn up. Living the I'll dream. I forget those guys. Little uh, farm in Byron Bay. That's all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, t- totally. Um, so, um, I don't even know how it got on a Xenorabe then. Um, well, you mentioned uh, Oh, pricing points. Pricing points, yeah. So you say what Xenorabe sells, because their stuff all sells in David Jones, et cetera. I mean, mm. so do you price off what their David Jones product is and sort of say, look, that's we're going to compete around that price? Nah, sort of um, at the start, that's what I've done, then sort of learned what a profit margin was and sort of sort of worked around that and was talking to mentors and that. They go, what do you got to realise about cafes and stuff? Like, if I went to a cafe and go, I can grow your business by 11% next year, like that'd let me look after their kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And like the way we're, like that's well, with e-commerce, like we've got no ceiling on that earning capacity. You think of a cafe, you think of a hairdresser, they've got three, like three tables in there. Mm. If that's full every time, you can only earn so much that's money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's what attracted me to e-commerce. We're limited by how much investment capital we can do at the start. And we've sort of learned that now because- and your demand. You, and your demand. And, yeah, yeah, demand and supply. Yeah. And we're at the moment where, where our demand is higher than our supply. So our collection drops, like some of our stuff sell out in like two hours. And wow. I'm talking like two, 300 units or stuff. So um, that's sort of like, I've just got to go, oh, we need more money to invest to get more. So that's your pricing. So what's your, what are your product, what's your product range? So where do you see your product range going? I mean, you're just wearing streetwear. I can see you've got a hoodie on now, but is it streetwear or is it? Or is yeah, it's it... just, just, just casual wear. Like, like I said before, clothes are clothes, a t-shirt. Menswear or? Menswear, menswear. Men's yeah. We've just moved into uh, Tech Project, which is our active wear range as well. Um, so we've got sort of two businesses running side by side. You mean like uh, you're talking about compression stuff? Yeah, compressions, um, running gear, like all that sort of stuff. So initially, um, I was over in LA and I was hanging around a guy called Daniel Patrick and I saw, he was selling shirt, shorts for 350 US. 
And I was what? Like, yeah, yeah, for a pair of shorts. And um, cause, but he's he's in that sort of market of high end streetwear. And then um, I was like, shit, look at that profit margin in that. And then initially, when I built Tech Project, I was going to try and build a high end um, street like fashion and prof- and price it at a certain point. And I went over to China, started making the stuff, and like some of the material was only cost like five or ten bucks more to make. That my social margin, yeah, my cool. social conscience was going like, I can't like, I'm selling YKTR for this. I can't just automatically go sell Tech Project for like 50, 60 bucks more because like, it just wouldn't feel right with me. So Tech Project's your um, your your techie clothes brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, yeah. your technology-based clothing yeah. brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, like, um, like that's still a work in progress now, but I'm going to try and build that around sort of like self-development and like we're going to have to-do lists. I, I, the way I got the label, it's like a highlight I crossed off. It's like yep. a yellow and the like I'm big on to-do lists. Every day I've got one, I cross it off. I've sort of put it on my Instagram story and people started to do it. And I'm going to sort of build the podcast. So the way we've attached YKTR, there's a story to it. I want to attach like self-development and getting better and setting goals and moving into business. I want Tech Project to be the bottom of the funnel for that. And then how's the business going now? Like you, you mean you make it money? You yeah, make yeah money, we're going well. get a good living out of it? Yeah, yeah. So I pay myself like that was like, that felt like you hit the lotto when, when your business is able to pay, your, yeah, pay, yeah. Your, pay yourself a working wage. But yeah, it's going really well. So I think when we first started, so compared to the second year, I think we grew like twelve hundred and thirty six percent, and yeah, we're smashing our numbers already. So where do you want to take it to? I mean, what's your end goal? You know what? To be at the start, it was initially to walk a different path because when I talked to footballers after football, they all said the same shit. I was like, "What do you want to do? Run an F forty five? Run a cafe? Um, back to digging holes? Yeah, F45, be, a, yeah. be a coach? Or fuck knows? Those be on are, television? Yeah, be yeah. on television. Those yeah. are the five. Mm. Those are those are the five answers mm. I got. And I used to sit in season launches and the old guy used to come up and make sure you enjoy it now. It's the best time of your life. Like, you won't have a better time. And I used to sit there, I'm like, fuck, I really want to challenge that narrative, you know what I mean? Why does that little 10-year block of your life have to be better? And I've said this to a lot of people, if Trent Robinson come in, but you could play for the Roosters for 500K for the next three years, playing the game that you've loved since you were five, I'd say no, I'm happy doing what I'm doing because my measuring stick in life is like that 10 seconds when I wake up, I'm happy, I'm excited. Saturday. So what do you want to do that way? Do you want to list it or sell it or bring um, in partners or what's your deal? I, I don't know what a, like an extra strategy or plan was, but I, I do have a number in my mind. But essentially it was just to get us to walk a different path and have my friends in the business of something we built. I don't really have that anything in mind. I, I listened to one of Pip Edwards and she talked about selling for a hundred million to Nike and Adidas. And then she's like, fuck that. I want to take them on. I feel like I've got that sort of mentality as well. And you're young enough to. I'm young enough to. Um, but then I'll, moved into this sort of podcast space and like I do a little bit of mentoring for like obviously not on your level but just for like people that want to do startup from blue collars that never had someone to talk to about business that's where my passion lies and we've made heaps of sales we've gone really really well but we've also had like the impact that we've left through vlog this is weird this sounds super weird like I've had about seven people come through saying I've, I've contemplated committing suicide your vlogs have helped me get through. Your podcast has helped me get through. Had a guy on Anzac Day. He goes, I'll sit on the train tracks on Anzac Day. It was ten, The train was 10 minutes late and it gave me enough time. They put him in a psychiatric ward. He goes, all I want, he always goes, all I did is ask for my um, earphones and I've, I've listened to your podcast and I feel better. So you talk about impact. There's no better impact than potentially saving well, someone's life be, by being yourself. Maybe what you got to be thinking about, mate, is uh, exiting your business and just doing that. I mean, taking a big cash, take, some mon- take money out and put more time into that. Do you want to buy it? No, I don't. <laughs> but I might be able to help fi- help me find a buyer. Yeah. Well, this has been a real revelation to me, Isaac. I mean, I I actually didn't expect this. 
I've done a little bit of work and a little bit of research on YKTR. Um, um, I, and I'm, I'm sort of impressed with what you've done so far, but what I'm really impressed with is how you've done it and what you know about your business. Mm. It, it really is impressive. And I always give everybody an opportunity because I've been asking you questions. I always give everyone an opportunity to ask me a question. So, mate, what question might, have you got for me? Um, sort of a question I've sort of pondered over the last 48 hours. And three days ago, I was actually sitting in the cafe and um, there's these two little kids next to me. And one of the kid goes, the kid goes, if you had a genie and he gave you one wish, what would your wish be? And I was thinking about it. I was, and then the kid goes, more wishes. And I said, that's the exact answer that I have as a kid. So my question to you is, would you jump on my podcast? <laughs> well, where do you do, 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 do where, where is the podcast done? If you want to come to my office, is it portable? Yeah. Oh, uh, it's Alexandria, not too far. Yeah. But can you, do you have it like a studio? Or you can yeah, come yeah, in, I can or, bring it in. Yeah, bring it in. Yeah, sure. You speak to the boys in, we'll bring it in, we'll, we'll get it done. Awesome. So we do it towards the end of June. So you talked about storytelling, I made that story up. Yeah. To, around that, that question. Yeah, but that's a good question. <laughs> it's a good, a good question because I've been, but I've dragged you in here and um, you've, you've shared with all of my listeners and with me, but all my listeners, your story, your journey. Yep. So I'll, I'll, I'll reciprocate. No dramas. Thank you. No dramas. Mate, thanks very much. I wish you all the very best. I'm, I actually am very impressed. I think you're a, a great sort of example or something that others should look up to in terms of rugby league players. Mm. And I'm, I'm more than impressed with the way you've been self-taught. Mm. So that's pretty cool. It's very unusual. Jim Rohn, formal that, education to make your living, self-education, make your fortune. Respect. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Well done. Later.